0: This morning, as you're seated, we're going to open our Bibles to Luke 11. We're going to go back to Luke this morning as we're just waking our way through this book verse by verse. And so this morning we'll be in Luke 11. One thing I want to share with you is next Sunday morning on November the 3rd, It's going to be all about missions here at our church. We're going to have a lot of tables up in the foyer, everything we're going to do in 2020 missionally anyway, all the trips we're going to be taking around the world and here in the United States, and also some things we do locally here that you can be involved in and be a part of. So please be here next week and please find out how God just wants you to serve by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ to people who need to hear. So you can do that next Sunday morning. And the next Sunday night, we're going to have just little information meetings, just really short, 10-minute information meetings so that you can come, find out about all our trips, just get a blip about them, and start praying about what God wants you to do and where God wants you to go and where He wants you to serve. So next Sunday, remember that. Be praying about that. And then just please be here. Well, tomorrow this morning, before we open the Word and read Luke 11, we're going to quote our Bible verses that we're memorizing. So as a church, we're memorizing the Sermon on the Mount, and we started in Matthew chapter 5. So this morning, guess what? We're going to do the whole thing up till this point. I told you we're going to do that at some point. So we're going to go all the way from verse 1 to verse 14. So I hope you're ready. Are you ready? Okay. Well, someone's going to do it for you. So Elena, come on. Elena is one of our middle school students, and she is memorizing this along with us as long as our students are as well. So she is going to say Matthew 5, verses 1 through 14, and you're not just going to stand there like a knot on a log and watch her, amen? What are you going to do? Say it with her, amen, and you're going to say it, right? You're not just going to mumble, you're going to say it, because you've memorized it, right? Yeah, that was real hearty right there, I know... I know where we stand. Okay, Elena, go. And as Elena goes, we're going to say it with her. So, Elena, go.
1: And seeing the crowds, he went up into the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came. He opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely in my account. Rejoice and be glad, for there is a great reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who came before you. You are the salt of the earth. If salt loses its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden.
0: Amen. All right. Next week, we'll move on. Now, Elena messed me up because she quoted a different version than I quote. So I'm sitting there like, oh, God, what's she saying? Okay, she messed me up with some words. So I'm going to tell you what I'm doing. I don't know what Elena was memorizing. I have no idea what that was. No, I do But I'm doing the New Living Translation. That's the version I'm memorizing anyway because that's the version I preach out of. I like the New Living Translation because it's just a modern day translation that talks like we talk. So when you read it, you can understand it. And they're not all these thou's and thises and words we have no clue what they mean. So that's the one I'm memorizing. And if you memorize that one anyway... I think it'll be easier for you to memorize it than if you memorize something like the New King James or ESV or something else, which are all great translations. But remember to memorize God's word. And before long, we'll have all of chapter five memorized, and which is amazing to me because when we have God's word within us, God uses that word because his word is powerful and his word will never return void according to his word. So memorize the word of God and use it. But this morning, as we look to the word of God, we're going to look there in Luke chapter 11. And one of the things, I guess, is just kind of a danger for a pastor is this week, in particular, God just used these verses, for whatever reason, just to really speak to my heart. And He used these verses to really convict me on some things. For me, anyway, I usually start working on my sermon for Sunday on the Monday before. Monday morning, I start studying and start working on that. So I've had to deal with this text for about six days now, and I know you're only going to have to deal with it for a few minutes. But I truly pray God will do in your heart what He did in mine. And I pray that He'll speak to you. And I pray that He will use it to change you. Every Wednesday morning, I teach a Bible study here at our church. We call it Wednesday Word, but all we're doing is going through the book of Revelation. And we've been in the book of Revelation for about two years now. We're on chapter 14, we're going about the pace, we're going in Luke, but I like going through the Word of God verse by verse and hearing God speak, and I love the book of Revelation, and I probably get more out of the book of Revelation than anything because I enjoy studying it, but I enjoy studying what it's going to be like when Jesus Christ returns, and in Revelation you see what it's going to be like when He returns, but you also see what it's going to be like leading up to His return. And the chaos on the earth and the hatred for followers of Jesus Christ and the persecution of us as Christians in the book of Revelation that the Bible tells us is going to happen over and over again. And you can kind of see some of that even in the day in which we live. I mean, You can see the birth pains of that. That's what Jesus says. As it gets closer to his returns, it's going to be like birth pains. And as a mom gets closer to giving labor, what happens to those birth pains? They get sharper and they get stronger. And that's what we're seeing right now on this earth. We're seeing birth pains leading up to the return of Christ. And as I kind of look at the world around me and as I live in the world around me just like you, there's a lot of days that I just pray, "Lord, come now." Because it's going to be a lot better for me when Jesus Christ comes back to this earth. Because it's going to be like Revelation 20 and 21 and 22. All my sorrow and all my pain and all my tears, they're going to be wiped away. And those are going to be gone forever. And so I long for that day. And so some days when I just get tired and when I get fed up, I just pray a prayer like this. Come now, Lord Jesus. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. But every time I pray that prayer, the Holy Spirit of God convicts me. Because without knowing it, when I pray a prayer like that or when you pray a prayer like that, here's what you're praying. You're praying for someone's eternal damnation. Because when Jesus Christ comes back to this earth. It is too late. It is too late to turn from your sins and turn back to God. It is too late to believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. It is too late to be made right. Because God's judgment comes those who don't know Him will be separated from Him forever and ever and ever and ever. And all of us have those we love who don't know. Who haven't believed. Who haven't turned. Whether it be a son or a daughter or a mom or a dad. Brother, a sister, a neighbor, a coworker, whatever. When we pray, Lord, come now, we truly don't understand the consequences of that prayer. And if God answered it. The greatest attribute of God for me. It's not his love, it's not his mercy, it's not his grace, as great as all those are, and without them we're sunk. God's greatest attribute is his patience. God is patient with us as sinners. 2 Peter 3.9 says this, God is really not being slow about his promise. What's the promise? The return of Jesus Christ coming back. He is not being slow about his promise, but he is being patient. Why? Because he does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Repent. And I thank God for his patience with me. And I thank God with his patience for you and this church and this world that he hasn't sent Jesus Christ back yet. He is going to because it's a promise of Scripture. But he is patient. And he is patient because his heart is for everyone to repent and for none to perish. So this morning in Scripture, we're gonna see God's heart. And we're gonna see why he sent a Savior. We're going to see what the world, what you, what I must do to turn back to God. In a few weeks, we're going to get to Luke 15. Luke 15 is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible because it's all about lostness. It's about a lost coin and a lost sheep and a lost son. We call that lost son a prodigal. What I hope you realize is we're all prodigals. The definition of a prodigal is just one who squanders their inheritance and wanders away to a distant land. That's the definition of sin. All of us have been created in the image of God, but for whatever reason, we squander that inheritance as children of the king and we wander to a distant land because we like what we want more than what God wants. But That's why God sent a Savior. This morning, Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 11 talks about an Old Testament story. but He talks about how we can be saved. So this morning, I just want you to see what he says. And before I read it, I want you to remember, and I'm going to reiterate this point over and over as we go through Luke, the book of Luke. But all of Luke changed in Luke 951. Because there is a small short verse there that just says, And Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. Meaning that Jesus is going to the cross. And he sets his face to the cross. And nothing will deter him. So this means he only has a matter of months to live right now. And so really, from here on out, he doesn't perform that many miracles. He doesn't do that many things where crowds are gathering. Crowds are shrinking now. And he starts saying what really matters. and So this is what matters according to Jesus. If you have your Bible, look there. I'm going to start reading in verse 29. This is what it says. As the crowd pressed in on Jesus, he said, This evil generation keeps asking me to show them a miraculous sign, but the only sign I will give them is the sign of Jonah. What happened to him was a sign to the people of Nineveh that God had sent him. What happens to the Son of Man? Jesus is talking about himself now. What happens to the Son of Man will be a sign to the people that he was sent by God. Verse 31. The Queen of Sheba will stand up against this generation on Judgment Day and condemn it. For she came from a distant land to hear the wisdom of Solomon. But now someone greater than Solomon is here. But you refuse to listen. Verse 32. The people of Nineveh will also stand up against this generation on Judgment Day and condemn it. For they repented of their sins at the preaching of Jonah. Now someone greater than Jonah is here. But you refuse to repent. Now who is the one greater than Jonah that is here? It is Jesus Christ himself. But Jesus compares himself to Jonah. Why? Well here's why. Three things. The first thing you must understand as a prodigal which we all are. God pursues prodigals. Jonah was a prodigal son. Even though Jonah was a preacher or a prophet. If you go back and read the Old Testament, Jonah was a prophet of God. Earlier in the Bible, before the book of Jonah, the book the Bible tells us that Jonah preached in Israel, and he Spoke for God and he even prophesied about what was going to happen in the future. And guess what? It happened so people understood that he spoke for God. And he was a respected preacher and people listened to him. And Jonah liked that. But one day, God came to Jonah and asked him to do something. I just want you to hear it. Listen to what the Bible says in Jonah 1. The Bible says, The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai: Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it. Because I have seen how wicked its people are. Now that verse doesn't sound like much to us because we hear God telling a preacher, go preach. And you would think a preacher would want to do what he's called to do, which is to go preach. But Jonah did not want to go preach to the people God called him to go preach to, the people of Nineveh. Nineveh was an Assyrian city. It was the capital of Assyria and Assyria were wicked, wicked people. They ruled with a fist and they conquered people with a wickedness the world had never seen. When they would go in and when they would conquer a new people, what they would do to the soldiers that they would conquer is they would skin them alive. That's how they would kill them and to prove their power over them. If they wanted them to come back and be slaves and help work in Nineveh, what they would do is they would take a large metal ring and they would actually pierce the mouth of the prisoner. and They would stick it through their mouth, out their jaw, and they would have a hook And then they would chain a hook to it and they would drag them through the streets like dogs by that chain protruding out of their mouth. These were wicked, mean people. And Jonah knew how wicked and mean they were and he hated them and he wanted to have no part of them much less God saving them. So he did the opposite of what God said. Jonah said no. But he really didn't say no. He didn't speak to God and say, God, I'm not going to do that. All Jonah did was just turn and go the opposite direction of what God said to do. That's all he did, just like you and me. God said, go here, and he went there. The Bible says he went down to the seaport of Joppa, which is modern-day Tel Aviv. Now, Nineveh from Tel Aviv was about 600 miles to the east. Rather than going 600 miles to the east, what Jonah did is he found a ship that was going 1,600 miles to the west, to Tarshish. And isn't it amazing, when you want to escape from God, you can always find a ship going exactly where you want it to go, just like Jonah. And so he said that I'm going to escape God's presence. That's what he literally said. And I don't know if Jonah thought that God's presence was like a radio signal and the further you got away from it, the further you got away from God. I don't know if he thought God would forget about him. I don't know what he thought. But he went down to the seaport of Joppa, went down onto a ship and set sail for a city almost 2,000 miles away from where God told him to go. And the ship set sail. And as Jonah sailed, he thought everything was good. So good, in fact, that he went down into the hull of the ship and he went to sleep. But the Bible says God sent a storm. And you know the story. The storm came up upon the ship and it was about to cause it to sink. And the crew, the pagan crew, threw lots to see who had done something to God for this storm to come. And the lot fell on Jonah. And they asked Jonah, Jonah, what did you do? And Jonah just simply said, it's me. I'm the fault. Just throw me overboard and everything will be okay." So what Jonah is asking, literally, is his sin has taken him so far, he wants to commit suicide. That's what it means to be thrown overboard in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. You're going to die, and he wanted to die. He would go that far to escape the presence of God. And so they throw him overboard. The storm stops. But the Bible says, just as God sent a storm, he sent a fish. Now, we think it's a whale. We don't know what kind of fish it is. But a fish came, and as Jonah was seeking to the bottom of the Mediterranean, the fish swallowed him up. And for three days and for three nights, Jonah was in the belly of that whale. Now, when I was a kid going to Sunday school, I can remember pictures of Jonah and the whale, some cartoons that they had drawn so that we'd know what it was like in the whale. Now, here's what I can remember this vividly. Here was one of the pictures when I was growing up at First Baptist Church in Boaz, Alabama, of Jonah and the whale. They had Jonah, and it looked like to be this big cave, and he had a fire sitting there, and he was warming himself in the fire in the belly of this fish. Now, how stupid is that? That is ignorant. That is not what it was like in the belly of a fish. What it was like was it was pitch dark, utter darkness. If you could ever find a place on this earth of utter darkness in the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea and the fish would probably be it. But it also stunk the high heaven. Have you ever cleaned a fish? you ever cut a fish open? Fish stink. Can you imagine living in one for three days and three nights? Can you imagine what was going on in that stomach as Jonah was laying there? His stomach of the fish was literally trying to digest him. There was gastric juices and gastric acid and no telling what else in the belly of that fish. And so Jonah, sitting there, I guess having nothing else to do, decided he would pray. Not much else to do in the belly of a fish, so he started to pray. And when he first started to pray, you can read about it in Jonah chapter 2, he's still mad at God. But eventually, by the end of Jonah chapter 2, guess what happens? He starts praying, God, save me. And if you save me, I will do anything you say. And so what does God do? What God always does when someone cries out for salvation, he saves them. And the Bible says that that great fish, whatever kind of fish it was, took Jonah and spit him out on the seashore, on the beach. Why? Because God pursues prodigals. He did it in Jonah's day, and he does it today. How does he do that? By sending a Savior. And that Savior is the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. The definition of a Savior is just someone who rescues you from destruction. And that's what Jesus did. He came to this earth to rescue us from destruction. What destruction? Separation from God. But here's the question. How can we know I get this question all the time. How can I know that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation? How can I know that all these other religions in the world, how do I know that they're not true? They worship God just as sincerely as you do. How can they be wrong and you be right? How can you know, John? How can you know? Well, let me tell you how I can know. Because Jesus Christ tells me. And he says he has given us a sign. And it's not feeding of the 5,000. It's not raising Lazarus from the dead. It's not all these miracles. It's something completely different. What is it? Look at verse 30. Luke 11, verse 30, what happened to him, talking about Jonah, what happened to him was a sign to the people of Nineveh that God had sent him. And what happens to the Son of Man will be a sign to these people that he was sent by God, talking about himself. What happens to Jesus will be a sign that he was sent from God. So what happened to Jonah? We'll go read the rest of the book of Jonah. In Jonah chapter 3, after that whale spit him up on the beach or on the seashore, Jonah did what God told him to do. He went to the city of Nineveh, and he preached a message. Now, it was a one-sentence message. One sentence. All he said to the people of Nineveh, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. That's all he said. He didn't say, God loves you. He didn't say, God will save you. All he said, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. And he preached it all over the city. The city was 600,000 people. And he preached that message, and guess what happened to the people of Nineveh? They believed him. Now, why in the world would they believe somebody from 600 miles away preaching a one-word sentence sermon that makes no sense to them whatsoever because they didn't even believe in God? Because there was a sign. What was the sign? Well, Jonah had been in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. Now, did he tell them that? Nope. But they had eyes, and they could see What do you think Jonah looked like after three days and three nights in the belly of a fish? What do you think his clothes looked like? What do you think his hair looked like? Some say that if you were to sit in gastric acid that long, it would bleach you completely white. From your hair to your toes, your eyes, everything in between would be bleached completely white. So maybe Jonah walking through the streets looking like Casper the ghost. I don't know what he looked like, but preaching this one sentence message, the people believed. So what is the sign of Jesus? The exact same thing according to Jesus. But the only difference is Jesus is not in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights, but he is in the belly of this earth for three days and three nights. In a tomb. But then God raises him from the dead. And that is how you know that Jesus is the way, the only way to God, and there is no other way because of the resurrection of Him. God has not raised anyone else from the dead. You say, well, what about Lazarus? He was raised from the dead. Well, yeah, Jesus called him out of the tomb, but guess what happened to Lazarus? He died, but not Jesus. The Bible says in the book of Acts, in Acts 1, that He ascended to the father and he is sitting at the right hand of God right now waiting for what his return the only thing that makes Christianity different than any other religion on this earth is the resurrection of Jesus Christ listen to me I can die on a cross but does that make me a savior no the only way you know that Jesus Christ is the savior is not by him dying on the cross It's not by him being born of a virgin. It's not by the preachings that he preached or the miracles he performed. The only way you know that God sent him and he is who he says he is and did what he came to say he would do was because God raised him from the dead. Hundreds of people saw him after his death. They saw his resurrection. They heard him teach. And then the disciples saw and stood in awe as the angels came and he ascended back up into heaven. We believe in the resurrection. And if you do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you cannot be saved. Probably the first Bible verse we learned as a child was John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. And what did that Son come to do? He came so that we could be saved. And they say that anyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. So what do we believe in Jesus? Do we just believe in Jesus? No, that will not save you. Believing that he died on a cross for your sins will not save you. The only thing that will save you is believing in the resurrection. Romans 10, 9 tells you how you can be saved. And Romans 10, 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, what? That God raised him from the dead you shall be saved. If you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you are not saved. Period. You have to believe in the resurrection. Because it's the only thing that separates us from any other religion on this earth. That is the proof. That is the sign. But not only does Jesus give us the sign of who He is, He gives us the way. He gives us the way. And that way is repentance. Verse 32, one last verse. Jesus says there, the people of Nineveh will also stand up against this generation on Judgment Day and Condemnment, for they repented of their sins at the preaching of Jonah, and now someone greater than Jonah is here, but you refuse to repent. Repentance is the message of the Bible. It was the message of Jesus. The first sermon Jesus ever preached after baptism. You can read about it in Matthew 4. The Bible says this in Matthew 4. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. He preached it at the beginning of his ministry. He preached it at the end of his ministry. After he was resurrected in Luke 24, he tells his disciples, he tells them that they must preach repentance and the forgiveness of sins To all nations beginning in Jerusalem. Unless you repent of your sins. And believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You will never be saved. And that is not the message of our day. Especially the church in America. We just simply say. Well God loves you. And if you just believe in God through Jesus. You can be saved. No you cannot. You are not saved if that is all you believe. Unless you have turned to God and turn from your sins and repent of your sins and believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you cannot be saved. How do I know? Because Jesus says it. He says it. All of us must repent of our sins. Because it's our sins that separate us from God. That word repentance, all that word means is to turn and walk back. When we originally sinned, when we chose sin over God, what did we do? We turned and we walked away from God. And when we repent of our sins, we come to our senses and turn and walk back to God. That's all repentance means. And that's what the city of Nineveh did. If you want to see what repentance looks like, listen to what Jonah chapter 3 says. It says this after he preached that message. It says in verse 6 when the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes he dressed himself in burlap and sat in a heap of ashes then the king and his nobles sent this decree through the city no one not even animals from your herds or flocks may eat or drink anything at all people and animals must all wear garments of mourning and everyone must pray earnestly to god they must turn from their evil ways and stop all of their violence Who knows, perhaps even yet God will turn and relent and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. When God saw that they had done all that they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he relented and did not carry out the destruction that he had threatened. When did God relent? When did God save? When he saw what they had done. This king of Nineveh was not a godly man. He did not even know about God. He was an evil king. But it is almost like he knew the Bible better than Jonah because he turned from his sin and he turned to God. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 55. He says, Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God and he will forgive generously. What does it mean to turn? That is just repentance. To turn to our God and he will forgive generously. That is what God has called us to do. And that is the message that God has called us to preach. It is a message of repentance. Now I understand this morning most of the people in this room that i preach to week after week after week are christians i know that you are children of god but here's one thing i think you need to realize that some of you don't even you as children of god can be prodigal sons and daughters you can walk away from god you can squander your inheritance Think about the prodigal son. What was he? Well, he was a son, right? Just as we are sons and daughters of God, that's why we call each other brothers and sisters in Christ. What was Jonah? He was a prophet. He was a preacher. But what did he do? He walked away from God. He wandered to a distant land. And some of you in this room are prodigals, Because for whatever reason, you are just like Jonah. And maybe not in your heart, maybe not in your mind, did you think this way, but maybe God told you to do something or not to do something, but for whatever reason, you just turned and went the opposite of whatever He said. You're just like Jonah, trying to escape the presence of God. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit came to this earth to do two things in John 16. He says He comes to convict you of your sin. And to lead you into truth. And this morning, maybe that's what the Holy Spirit of God is doing for you. Because I understand that there are many people in this room that need to repent and turn back to God. Now, I don't know your sin, I don't know what you need to repent from. Maybe you need to repent because God has told you that you need to forgive someone, but you're not willing to do it. And you're hanging on to that unforgiveness and you're hanging on to that bitterness and it is eating you up and destroying you inside. Maybe you're like Jonah. Maybe God called you to go somewhere or do something. But for whatever reason, just like you, you will not do it. You're like Jonah. And so you just turned and went away. I could stay here all day and name things. God has said, but I don't have to do that because the Holy Spirit of God is saying to it right now. And this morning he's telling you to repent. But you need to know how. One of the greatest chapters in the Bible on repentance is found in the book of Psalms. And in Psalm fifty one. David prays a prayer after he has walked away from God. A man after God's own heart. And he prays a prayer of repentance. I just want you to listen to its words. David prays, have mercy on me, O God. Because of your unfailing love. Wash me clean from my guilt. And purify me. From my sin. He says against you and you alone. I have sinned. And I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right. When you say judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes from the moment my mother conceived me. Verse 7 he prays purify me from my sins. And I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Give me back my joy. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. He prays, don't keep looking at my sins, but remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. And do not take the Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And make me willing to obey you. David prayed that prayer. God answered it. He forgave him. And he restored him. God's presence returned to his life. If you will do what David did and repent. God will do the same for you. How do I know? Because he promises. Because that's the message of the whole Bible. That is why God is being patient. So bow with me. Let's pray, Lord. We thank you for your patience. And we thank you that you even love sinners. And we thank you that your love is greater than our sin. Lord, this morning, I pray for those who need forgiveness. Lord, I pray that you would go where my words cannot and you would reach into people's hearts and into the depths of their souls. And this morning, you would turn them back. Lord, I pray that you would break chains that have been around people for years. I pray that you would let people let go of unforgiveness and bitterness that's been holding them back and eating them from the inside out. Lord, I pray that you would just do for us what you did for a city thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. Lord, have mercy upon us. Lord, I just give you these moments. I just pray that you would move, and I pray that you would move in Jesus' name. Amen.